Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of a Shabbat sermon by Rabbi Matt Shapiro. Something that I have been enjoying lately is um, I signed up for this course. It's called The Gift of Awareness through the Institute for Jewish Spirituality. Uh, It's a 13-module course for educators to connect with the practice of mindfulness meditation, um, both to establish a personal practice or to reestablish a personal practice, and also to gain some resources and teachings to be able to transmit into, you know, whatever the professional setting is in which you work, to be able to uh, give those tools and to build a cohort of community of practice and and for people to be able to learn from the experience. So I'm just moving through the first module into the second module. And there was a, there was a teaching that really hit home for me right at the very beginning. Rabbi Jordan Ben-Dapel, one of the uh, teachers at IJS, he framed the practice as tshuva. And he said, that what this is, this chuva is about returning to the kind of person that I aim to be. That in each moment, I have the choice, the opportunity to say, okay, well, hold on. Am I living my life in the way that I aspire to, that I want to? Is, is, is this how I want to be living? And I can always take a step back, take a deep breath, and reorient and return to that person and to move forward from there. As many of you know, I worked at the Chuva for some time, so I've heard Chuva discussed as repentance, return, new response, all kinds of ways, but I had never heard it put exactly in this way before, and it really hit home for me. It really resonated, not least of which because I have had some type of meditation practice before, and I've gotten away from it, and now I can apply that very teaching to this practice to say, okay, well, I got away from that for a little while. It it, it sort of faded. And now I can take a deep breath and I can pause and I can return to living my life in the way that I aspire to knowing full well that I will fall short again. And that whether it's the meditation practice or any number of other ways in which I aspire to live my life and fall short on, I can come back. I can return And I can say, this is how I want to keep living my life. I think we all have those things. And if, and if you don't have any problems with that, uh, I would love to meet you. Please call email after Shabbat. I would love to hear about what that's like, but I'm pretty confident in saying that we all have moments. If we're lucky, just moments where we move away from the kind of lives we hope to the way in which we live our lives that we hope to conduct ourselves And so then there's always this gap, always, between the ideal and the real, between how I want to be living and how I'm actually living, and then hopefully we have practices through which we can try to narrow that gap. But so I've been thinking about that separation, that gap, and how to close it, but also at the same time, how vast it can be. And that's true, of course, on an an individual level. And I'm also seeing it on a cultural level, on a community level, on a societal level. 
And today, uh, as we celebrate the 4th of July, a patriotic day, a day in which we celebrate the birth of our nation, a day in which we celebrate all that America has been and is and can be and will be, that we celebrate this idea enshrined in the Declaration that all men are created equal, that's not necessarily something that seems to be from the way in which our nation has been. It doesn't seem all that self-evident necessarily. And there have been and there are ways that our country functions that seem to present a clear gap between that ideal of conducting the business of the country reflecting that all men are created equal and the way in which things actually are. More than I ever have before, continue, continuing to be shown the way in which, the ways in which institutional racism continues to have a legacy in our country in this civic moment and feeling challenged by and confused about and really mourning in some ways how I haven't seen that more and really confused and challenged by how to close that gap moving forward. And I was directed to an essay written uh, in 1852, some years ago to say the least, by Frederick Douglass. And the essay is called, What to the Slave is the Fourth of July? I'm not sure if any of you have read it. I'd imagine some of you have, but I had never read it before. And Frederick Douglass says in part in this essay, he says, what to the American slave is your 4th of July? He says, to him, your celebration is a sham. Your national greatness swelling vanity. Your shouts of liberty and equality hollow mockery. Your prayers and hymns are to him mere bombast, deception, and hypocrisy. Americans, your Republican politics are flagrantly inconsistent. You boast of your love of liberty, your superior civilization, while the whole political power of the nation is solemnly pledged to support and perpetuate the enslavement of three million of your countrymen. Douglas, of course, was writing while slavery still existed in this country and would still for a number of years. Now, slavery, of course, has been abolished for many, many decades in this country. Thank God. And we still have so far to go. We still have, uh, as he was saying, some flagrant inconsistencies in terms of our, our ideals and the reality. And because of that, we still need to affirm that black lives matter. We still need to address institutional racism in all of its many insidious and malignant forms if we're going to live up to the promise of the declaration that we are rightfully celebrating today and the challenge to find ways to celebrate today with integrity. And so in the face of those flagrant inconsistencies, we still have this gap between what's promised and what is, between what's ideal and what's real. And I noted differently than I ever had before in the week's Parsha, a situation where there does seem to be this gap between 
lofty language articulating ideals and a dire reality. Certainly much more dire than what the language would seem to indicate. As many of you know, in the parasha, Balak brings the prophet Bil'am to come curse the people of Israel. And even though Bil'am tries again and again to curse the people, uh, each time he is thwarted and different words come out of his mouth. He offers a different prophecy, actually praising the people of Israel rather than cursing him. There is, of course, at least one line that you probably know quite well. It is through his words that we hear, How goodly are your tents, O Jacob, your dwellings, Israel. Praising us for how lovely our dwelling spaces is. And these are the words, of course, that we say each morning to recognize how lucky we are, particularly ironic these days, but how lucky we are to be able to gather in a space of prayer, of study. And he was saying even more basic than that, how beautiful your dwelling places are. You're so great. What a community. What a people. This is amazing. And along with that, we can then ask the question, well, is that accurate? Is that a reflection of who the people of Israel were in that moment? If you've been following along at all in the book of Bamidbar, you can at least interrogate that a little bit. There's been more than a little fetching and complaining along the way. So it seems already a little bit questionable. And then an even finer point gets put on that right after the incident with Bilam wraps up, after he goes his way and Balak goes his the verses immediately after that seem to turn that completely on its head. While Israel was staying there, right after this happened, the people profaned themselves by whoring with the Moabite women who invited the people to sacrifice for their God idolatry, licentiousness, right after we have just been praised for how wonderful we are. Are we sure that this is the same people? Right? Juxtaposed so clearly. Now the rabbinic reading on this, one of the rabbinic readings on this, is that Bilam, when he wasn't prophesying, prophesizing how wonderful the people are. He sort of snuck over to him, sort of whispered, hey, this is how you can really get those people. And he then, and then Balak then sent the Moabite women to distract and sway the people away from their true purpose. Now that's possible. But it seems just as plausible to me that that nefariousness is unnecessary. We know about the complaining. We know about the distraction. We know about the golden calf. We know about the plagues that have been sent forth in response to how painful and how uncomfortable and how disobedient these people have been in their wanderings through the desert at this point. And not only that, there is a deep irony in how the verse Matovu is often read to praise the modesty of the people, that they didn't have uh, their tents facing each other because of how modest they were. And then we smash cut right away to this Bacchanalian scene of sex and idolatry. So again, a massive gap between how we're described 
and how we aspire to be every single morning and what's actually happening. Now, the incident, of course, comes to a fairly gruesome, zealous end at the hands of Pinchas. I won't describe it to you because I don't want this sermon to be rated NC-17, but you can go read it for yourselves if you'd like at the end of the Parsha. And Rabbi Shefa Gold reflects on his actions in a really interesting way. She highlights that the plague that had broken forth in the camp is actually mentioned only after Pinchas takes action, not before. That this zealotry is actually what helps to name and illuminate more clearly what was really happening. And she calls it a plague of perceived powerlessness. Wonderful turn of phrase. A plague of perceived powerlessness that there's a need to act decisively towards what is good and holy. That you can only see after the fact what was actually happening in the moment when you're distracted, that you need to take ownership, otherwise we fall prey, we fall victim to our own worst impulses with tragic consequences. That we get distracted. And we need to once again claim to take that breath, to take that pause, and to say, I actually have the ability to pause in this moment, to aspire to the kind of person that I want to be, instead of tumbling further and further down away from those ideals. To which I would say, it's even more important on top of that, to accurately name that gap, to say, okay, here's where I am now. Here's where I've been. Here's where I am now. Where do I want to go? Because that gap only grows if I don't see it accurately, that unless I'm able to say this is where the problem really lies, that those flagrant inconsistencies will only continue to become more and more amplified, further widening that gap. This has felt like a tough week. That... um, up until the past week and a half or so, I, I, I was starting to feel a little optimistic about the current situation in which we find ourselves, particularly as a Californian, particularly as an Angelino, that even though there were still challenges, it seemed like at least um, there might be some respite in terms of this virus that continues to circulate. And so I try not to read too many but I still read plenty of articles about not just the numbers, but about interpretations of the numbers and analyses of what might happen moving forward. And certainly in reading about COVID-19, it has its own gap. Plenty of places in this country between the reality of what's actually happening and the understanding and the rhetoric around what's happening. And we unfortunately need to be reminded again and again that though we might be done with this virus, it's not done with us. And so feeling discouraged about that, I was reading an article in the LA Times, uh, in an interview with an epidemiologist, Dr. Jennifer Muzo, and in reflecting on the rising numbers, through her words, I was actually reminded of how important it is to get out of the powerlessness that Rabbi Sheffield was talking about when she talks about what each one of us has the obligation and ability to do. 
And Dr. Nuzzo said, individuals have more power than they think. You might feel powerless, but you're not. You can make decisions, and you don't have to be perfect to have an effect. It's easy in the face of these rising numbers, three and a half months into this, to feel like all is lost, at least for me, and to just feel helpless. And what she says is, no, you have a choice. You have the ability to make smart, healthy choices about how you're living, and that has an impact. And even though you're not going to do it perfectly, you can make tshuva to come back, to conduct yourself, and to live your life in that healthy way that you know is best for you and your community and your country. It reminded me of the serenity prayer, that God gives us the serenity to accept the things we cannot change, the courage to change the things we can, and the wisdom to know the difference, to get out of denial and into reality, to recognize the need for action. Now, in some ways, I think the serenity prayer is kind of misnamed, actually. It's focused on that first clause, right? How do I have serenity around things that feel challenging? But maybe we should call it the courage prayer, right? The courage to change the things I can. Instead of being in that perceived powerlessness to say, no, I'm going to have some courage in this moment, and I'm going to make the changes that need to be made. I'm going to see that gap, and I'm going to say, not all is lost. There's something I can do here. There's something that I need to do here. How do we express that courage? There are those beautiful words that Elon chanted a few moments ago, longer than I thought ago. Sorry, Rabbi. But just a few moments ago, that closing passage of the Haftarah from Micha, God has told you, you know what's good. You know what's required of you. Do justice. Love goodness. Walk modestly with God. And in the passage in the Talmud, that's actually one version of narrowing down the 613 mitzvot all the way down to three, just three. Do those three things. That's the essence, according to this teaching. And in some ways that feels woefully insufficient. With everything going on in the world, with all of these gaps, that's it. That's the solution. I don't know if it's the solution. And in each moment, I have to try to take at least some incremental action to get myself a little bit closer to how I want to be living and to get the world a little bit closer to where I hope it can go. Loving kindness, justice, modesty. I can't end institutional racism in an instant. I can't close the gap between when my faith wavers and absolute confidence that things will be okay. I'm not always going to be perfect in terms of how I might be trying to live as healthily as I can in the face of a pandemic, but I can keep closing that gap. And so in the spirit of renaming things from the serenity prayer to the courage prayer, I'll offer one more. We call it the Declaration of Independence, and of course, in historical context, it is. 
declaring our independence from Britain. And at the end, it actually affirms very clearly how closely we're all connected. I didn't know this actually. I, I don't know my Declaration of Independence well enough. I know the first paragraph or two pretty well, but I read it all the way through. And here's how it ends. And for the support of this declaration, with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. Yes, it's a declaration of independence, and it closes with a declaration of dependence. We need each other. We impact each other. We are responsible for each other. And we forget, and we go astray, and we lose sight of our ideals, and we don't work hard enough on those flagrant inconsistencies, and we can always come back with a breath, with a pause, with a reminder of where we want to go and how we want to be living. So I'm committed to doing that work, and I invite you to keep doing that work with me, to keep working to narrow these gaps. And by taking those concrete actions, we will bring ourselves, we will bring each other ever closer to being the people and the community and the country that we will always aim to be. Shabbat Shalom. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.